So we are in John chapter 12. I'm going to scoot back just a little bit because we last week we finished uh, in John 11 at verse 46, and we didn't really cover the very end of the chapter, and it kind of sets the stage for us for chapter 12. Because in, at the end of 11, we see that the Pharisees have decided enough is enough. This Jesus guy is causing too many problems. So Caiaphas, and we will, we will, uh, we're introduced to him here. He's the high priest. We're going to see him again uh, in a few, uh, few weeks when he has a part in the crucifixion, when he has a part in the trials of Jesus. He is uh, adamant that Jesus must die. And the, he actually says in uh, verses 49, he gives a prophecy. Now this is interesting because he hates Jesus with a passion. He thinks if we kill him, it'll all be over. Little does he know, he is simply being part of God's plan. And in verses, chapter 11, verse 49, he says this, But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that this is expedient for you, that one man die for people, and that the whole nation not perish. Now he did not say this of his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together one of the children of God who are scattered abroad." Kind of like uh, Balaam, right? Hey, Balaam, come here and curse the Israelites. And every time he opened up his mouth, what came out? Blessings. He couldn't help himself. Well, Caius, Caiaphas thinks, oh, I've got, I've got a, a word from God for you guys. We're going to kill this guy. But what he didn't realize is that he was part of God's plan. God's plan from the foundations of the world was that Jesus would be the redemption. The other thing that we, we want to see here is that this kind of sets the stage for Jesus also. In verse 54 it says, Therefore Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews, but he went away from there to the country near the wilderness into the city called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. Now Jesus has said many times, my time has not yet come. And sometimes it has been where he slipped, he slipped away. But he says, my time has not come. And so he goes off into the wilderness. Now, uh, depending on, on where you look at this, this could have been a couple weeks to as much as two or three months. He slips away. He says, I'm, I'm done preaching. I'm, I've been preaching to who? I've been preaching to the Israelites. I've been preaching to the Jewish people. I'm done. I've given you everything you need to know. I'm the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. 
I'm the living water. I'm the son of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm the healer. He says, how much do you need to see? And finally he says, I'm done. And he goes away. This is going to set the frame for the whole last half of John. Because everything from 12 out, it's the last week of the crucifixion, and then the very last chapter is the week before he goes home and and is transferred into heaven after 40 days on the earth. And so we're going to come into chapter 12, and I've, I've titled this, The Beginning of the End. Because everything from here on out is going to feed into the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. And what is, what is the most important thing that we need to look at? If we don't have the crucifixion, we don't have the payment for sin. And if we don't have the resurrection, we don't have heaven. And so he is setting the stage and he is going to, he has spent three years with these guys and in these last six days before the crucifixion, he's going to pour into them his last instructions. It's kind of like you ever had somebody who knew that they were going home and they gathered everybody around them and they said, I want, I want to tell you I want to give you my last words. One of the greatest times in my life from my father was his last blessing. He placed a blessing on every one of the kids, every one of our grand, the grandkids, and then every one of the greats. I, I will never forget that time in my life because it was his final blessing. He knew where he was going. He knew, what, he knew that he was headed to heaven, and he wanted, to, he wanted us to know, A, it's going to be all right. But he wanted us to know what his expectations were. What he, what he wanted us to have learned. He wanted to leave a legacy. And he has left a legacy. And, and as Jesus is getting ready to go, we, we come to uh, chapter 12. So let's look at chapter 12, the first 11 verses. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. So they made a supper for him there, and Martha was serving But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. And Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, why was the perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. And therefore Jesus said, let her alone. 
so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The large crowd of Jews then learned that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him many Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. So we come here and we see a number of different characters in this scene. And each one is going to reveal who they truly are in this scene. Now, uh, we're all pretty good at wearing masks, and I don't mean the kind we just wore for two years. We put on our mask, and we come to church, and we say what? How are you this morning? I'm fine. When we're really not. Oh, I've surrendered all, except this little bit over here. I'm living for Jesus. Maybe. We can put on our mask, <coughs> excuse me, but the reality is at some point in time, everyone shows their true colors. You, you ever been there? You know, I, I went through, we used to, to be a police officer, you have to do this psychological examination. And don't you wish you could get a hold of mine? <laughs> right? And uh, back in the day, I was, it, was, it was up in Portland. I had to go up to Portland for a whole day. And they tell you, bring a sack lunch. That's how long this thing is, because you, you don't even get an hour break to go buy lunch. You have to bring your sack lunch with you. And so all day you're going through this thing, you know, here's all the, what does this look like, right? You know, what's this? Oh, do you remember what I gave you? Five, you know, all of these different things, you know, the 300 and some odd question tests that ask you five times, do you believe in UFOs? <coughs> Excuse me. So you get all done, and then you have the meeting with the head shrink guy. He's the last appointment of the day. You're totally exhausted. You're, you have, you know, and his whole job is to see if he can make you mad. And he asks you questions. You're like, well, you have no business knowing that. And if he can make you mad, you know what it is? It's an automatic F. He'll flunk you out. Because as a police officer, what's the one thing you want, don't want to do? Lose your cool. Everyone shows their true colors. When you're under stress, when you're under, but the, but the opposite is also true. When you're truly sold out for Jesus, you're going to show your true colors. Because God has given us all gifts. Now, the first one we see here is Mary. Or, excuse me, first one we see is Martha, right? They come to Martha's house. This is not the first time Jesus has been to Martha's house. Matter of fact, Martha probably knew what his favorite dinner was. And because every time you see Martha 
prior to this, what is she doing? She's serving. Martha had the spiritual gift of service, and she employed it. What does God call us to do? If you, he, he says what? Everyone in the church has a gift. We all have a gift. And we're, our job is to employ it in the church. Romans 12 tells us what? Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace that is given us, each of us, doesn't say some of you, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the pro, uh, proportion of your faith, if service in his service, or he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Seven gifts of motivation. Most of us will land somewhere in one of those seven gifts. And God says, use it. And here's Martha. She has the gift of service. And what's she doing? She's serving. That's what she does best. And when you have the gift of service, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily apply just to the church. If you have the gift of service, man, everywhere you go, you want to do what? Serve. Here, let me clean this up. You, 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 know, you know what you want? To, when you have a, a wedding, you want to invite a whole lot of people with the gift of service. Right? Because when it's all over and there's the big mess, you want to have some people say, oh, hey, let me help you clean up. She had the gift of service, and it showed out in what she did. Well, who else do we have? We have Mary. Mary has the gift of mercy. Where, where do you see Mary every time you see Jesus with her? At his feet. She's at his feet. She is... She is is intuitively coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I want to learn from you and I want, to, I want to take it out to others. And we come to this scene and where do we find, we find Mary? Once again, at his feet. But this time what? She's preparing him for death. She gets the perfume out. She puts the perfume on his feet. Now, now, did you catch in the, as we read through 1 through 11, this is not O.D. La Pew stuff, you know. This is pure nard. So a denarius is a day's wages. 300 denarius is what Judas says it's worth. That's pretty expensive perfume. That's even better than Chanel number no. 5. And she's putting it on his feet and she's anointing and she's, she's anointing his feet. And he says, she's anointing me for my death. You see, Mary had picked up somewhere along the way when she heard Jesus. When he said in the last encounter with him, I am the resurrection and the life. She, she has somehow 
picked up, and people with mercy do this. They pick up the fact that people are hurting, and she knew that Jesus was going to die. And she said, I've been saving this. This has been sitting back in my dowry. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend it on Jesus. I'm going to pour it out on Jesus because she had the gift of mercy. We see Lazarus. We really don't know a lot about Lazarus other than he died and he was raised again. We don't see him being a great evangelist later on. We do know that there's a lot of people that are interested in the fact that he got raised from the dead so much so that they want to kill him. We don't really have a lot about him. But the next one that we see is Judas. Judas Iscariot. Now he's going to show his true colors. Now what has he been for the last three years? He's been a disciple of Jesus. He's followed him around. He's, learned, he's watched all of these things. He, he somehow got into the position of being the treasurer. Now I would have thought Matthew being a tax collector would be the money man. But somehow Judas has become the treasurer of the apostles. And he's like, wait, wait a second. That could be sold for 300 denarius. Because why? He was a thief. His true, shell, true colors show up here. Because if you go over to Matthew chapter 26, you know what immediately happens after this event? After this meal in Bethany? Where does Judas go? He goes to the Pharisees. That's right. And says, hey, how much will you pay me to betray him? I know his itinerary. I can take you to him. And he sold it for 30 pieces of silver. You know how much 30 pieces of silver is worth? A slave. That's how much a slave was worth. 30 pieces of silver. He sold out our Lord. Somebody who he had watched do all these miracles. Somebody who he had watched but somewhere along the way, greed had gotten into his heart. 1 Timothy 6 tells us about how deceitful money can be. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Some of the saddest people I've ever met are rich people. You know why? Because they want a little bit more. Nothing is ever enough. I want a little bit more. I want a bigger house. I want a bigger promotion. I want a better name over the top of my door. And they drive and they drive and then when they get that, then they're saying, huh. They become like Solomon. Vanity, vanity. All is vanity. Because a little bit more is never enough. And that's what happened with, with Judas. He just wanted a little bit more and he couldn't get it. 
And you know who, who he ran to? He ran to the Pharisees. And there's this verse in, in Luke chapter 16 I want you to, I want you to see because uh, you go to the people that are like you, don't you? Luke 16, 14. Now the Pharisees who were what? Who were lovers of money were listening to all the things and were scoffing at him. Where did Judas run? To the people who were just like him. They were religious, but who was their God? Money. Who can put money in my pocket? Now, and now once again, we go, if we go back to, to 1 Timothy, what does it say? It doesn't say money's evil. It said the love of money is the root of evil. You know, God, people, one of the gifts that we saw back in Romans 12, what did it say? Giving is one of those. And you know, when God can trust you with money, that it slips through your hands, you will be amazed at how much money God will give you if you're dispersing it out where he wants you to. Because see, God uses it. God doesn't drop, a, you know, you say, okay, Lord, I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in financial straits or you need to help me. God doesn't drop a big bucket of money on top of your head. What does God do? He uses people. He uses people who have the gift of giving to touch those lives. The Pharisees were lovers of money. Well, there's, there is one other group here. One other group, and they're the crowd. And what did the crowd show themselves to be? They wanted to see the spectacular. Oh, I hear Lazarus is in town. He was raised from the dead. Jesus is here. He does miracles. Uh, sadly enough for them, do you realize that from this point on, Jesus never does another miracle until we get to the resurrection. He doesn't heal anybody. He doesn't raise anybody from the dead. He is on his final journey. His purpose, he is focused He's focused on the will of the Father. They came to see something spectacular and they were sadly sent away. Because Jesus said, no, I have a focus. Well, we're going to skip uh, 12 through 19, the triumphal entry, because Pastor Hunter did a wonderful job on Palm Sunday in teaching us about the triumphal entry. So we're going to skip that and we're going to come to verse 20 uh, to 26 and we're going to see Jesus as he turns his focus. Now there were some Greeks among those who were go going to worship at the feast. Remember, Passover is coming. And these then came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee and began to ask him saying, Sir... We wish to see Jesus. And Philip came, to, came and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come. Oh, the hour's come. It's time. 
The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it, if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus turns his eyes to the world. You see, up until now, what did Jesus do when people who were not Jewish came to him? Oh, no. The woman who wanted to be he- wanted her daughter healed, he-, he says, no, it's not for you. She wasn't Jewish. And she says, but even the dogs eat from the crumbs of the table. And he's going, wow, your faith is great. When the Roman soldier came to him and said, my servant is sick, Jesus said no. But then he, he, he said, all you have to do is speak the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, because of your faith, he's healed. But for the most part, where's Jesus been? He's been in the synagogues. He's been preaching to the Jews. And finally he says, the Greeks come to him and he says, listen, when I die, I'm going to die for who? The Jewish people? The whole world. When I die, you're going to reap the benefits. It's going to go all the way back when we were in Genesis. And, and God said to Abraham, and I will give you the land, and I will give you a great people. And then the very last part of the Abrahamic covenants is what? And all... The families of the world will be blessed through you. He says, I am coming for the world. Jesus shifts his focus. He says, oh, my hour's now come. Now's the time. My Jewish people have turned their back on me. Now I'm coming to save the world. Well, let's go on and read 27 through 36. Now my soul, Jesus speaking, now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it thundered. Others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. 
Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of the world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he would die. The crowd then answered him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man will be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that they may become sons of light. Jesus, These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. Jesus' soul was troubled. Have you ever been there? Your soul is troubled. He knew what was going to happen. He knew the crucifixion was coming. Physically, can you imagine the thought of knowing what the crucifixion was going to be like? I mean, he saw what the Old Testament said about it. He read that in the synagogues. He said, I'm here to fulfill that. He could have seen the crucifixions that took place outside of Jerusalem at any time. He knew what was coming. But did you catch what he said? He chooses the Father's will. Matter of fact, when we get down close to the crucifixion, what does he say? He goes up with, with Peter, James, and John up to the Gethsemane. And it says he is in such emotional stress that he sweats drops of blood. And he says what? Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but thine be done. You know, the, the song that I've always loved. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. You see, he, he could have said, God, would you, Father, would you, would you just say enough's enough? Can we just be done with this human race? They've rejected me. And he says, no, we have a plan. A plan that was put in place from the foundations of the world. He put this in place. He, knew, he knows what it means to be troubled. And when you're troubled, he is there with you in the midst of that. And then God speaks. Now this is, 
the third instance in which God speaks verbally to, to Jesus. The first one is when he's being baptized. And Luke 3 tells us, Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him bodily like the form of a dove, and a voice came out of heaven and said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The next time is at the transfiguration. Luke 9 tells us about the transfiguration, remember? Once again, Peter, James, and John are with him. They're up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Elijah and Moses come out of a cloud, and they're talking with Jesus. <clears throat> and they're talking about his end. They're talking about this very time that he's in now. And then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And then we have this time when, Jesus, when God speaks to Jesus. And what does he say? He says, I am I have been glorified and I will be glorified. And we'll get that to the minute in just a minute. One of the things I want you to notice about all three times that the Father spoke to the Son, what was Jesus doing? He was praying. Most of us kind of think, oh, well, he got baptized and when he came up out of the water, the, the Father spoke and the, and the dove came down. Isn't what it says. What did, what did uh, Luke 3 say? He was baptized, and then he was praying, and the Father spoke. Part of prayer is listening for the Father to speak to you. Because how do we normally pray? All right, God, here's my wish list. Check, 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 check. Okay, I'm done praying. Off to my day. What does Jesus do? When he prays, he doesn't pray. Oh, God, fix it this way. Father, fix it this way. Isn't that way we pray? Hey, God, I have a problem. I'm in a jam. I need something. Would you do this? I've got, I've got this disease. This is the way I want you to heal it. When we ask God for what he wants, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. But what? Not thy will, but mine be, not my will, but thine be done. Because we, sometimes we just need to realize God has something huge in store for you, even in the midst of tragedy. In the midst of tragedy, God opens up doors that we have no clue about. God uses the death of a little baby at 28 days old to bring a husband and wife to the Lord so that they can raise four more kids 
And one of those is your preacher. God, heal my little baby. Could God have healed my sister? Absolutely. Would my mom and dad have gotten saved? Probably not. It was in the midst of their grief that they came to Jesus. You see, God uses, but we have to listen to God. What is he saying? In the very first one, when he is baptized, God talks to Jesus. What does he say? You are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. He's not talking to the people around there. It was not, all they heard was a loud noise. In the second one, on the Mount of Transfiguration, as Jesus is praying, who does God talk to? What does he say? He said, this is, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Who's he talking to? Peter, James, and John. They were the only three there. Listen to my son. Listen to him. And then when we come to this one, he said, I have been glorified. My name has been glorified, and it will be glorified again. And some of them heard, what? They heard a thunder. And some of them saying, the angels are speaking. You see, you see God, the, the first prayer that God hears from people, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I believe that you are the Son of God and that you came to save me from my sin through your death on the cross. That's the first prayer that God will hear. They couldn't hear because their ears would not open. But some of them heard, and he said, this is not for me, this is for you. When the Father speaks, he says, I have been glorified and I will be glorified. Now what does he mean by that? The first one, I have been glorified, happened at his birth. The initiation of God's plan of Jesus on the earth. What did the angels sing when they came to announce the birth of Jesus? Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. They were singing glory, glory to the baby in the manger. They were singing glory to God because Jesus came to fulfill the plan of God, which was he had to be born of a virgin. Oh, wait, where do you see that? Oh, let's go back over here in, in Isaiah. He fulfilled all of those prophecies that say he was coming, he's going to be born of a virgin, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to grow up and have a sinless life. So when is he going to be glorified again? At the death of Jesus, at the resurrection. At the resurrection when Jesus dies on the cross, he pays for sin. And at the resurrection, who's glorified? The Father. He said, I was glorified the day you were born, and I'm going to be glorified the day that you raised from the dead. Because everybody was looking, thinking Jesus is not going not to be raised again. He was glorified, or will be glorified to these guys. 
in the resurrection. And it says, who did he die for? He died for all. If I be lifted up, I will do what? I will draw those who I believe in, those who will believe in me. I will draw who? All men. I will draw all men unto me. Now, he can draw people, but not everybody believes. Isn't that true? But Jesus, it says, I'm going to draw people. I'm going to give them the truth. We'll see that in just a minute when he talks about the light. Jesus died. He gives everybody the opportunity for salvation. Not everybody takes it up, takes him up on it. 1 John 2 says this. And if some people have sins, oh, if who? If anyone. Oh, if the elect. No. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation, he's the payment, the substitution for our sins, And not only ours only, but whose? But also those of the whole world. Why does God send us out into the world? Because people need to hear who Jesus is. He's drawing them. But we are the ones he sends to tell. He sends to tell because we have found The light. Walk while you have the light. And I think this is as Jesus talks about this. (coughs) He sends out the light. We're reflectors. But, But Jesus sends out the light. Everyone's exposed to this. Romans tells us that if you can look at creation, you will see who? You will see God. If you watch the birth of a baby, you will see what? You will see God. All around you is God. I am lighting up the world. And he says, walk towards the light. Now what happens when you walk towards the light? It gets brighter, right? It's easier to see. And people who walk towards the light, God says, okay, I'm going to reveal more to you. You ever done that? You, 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 you know, you, you're, it's, it's kind of dark out. You see this light and you start walking towards the light. And, and all of a sudden you begin to make out all the details. That's what God does for it. What happens when you walk away from the light? It gets darker and darker and darker. Until you're finally what? You're out of the light totally. You you can't see where you're going. You begin to stumble. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. You can come to me and, and, and I will give you greater light. The closer you get to me, the more light I will give you. He says, I want you to walk in the light. But if you choose to walk away, The light diminishes the farther you get from me. 
While you, are, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become the sons of light. The sons and daughter of light. That's who we are. Don't you want to be the son and the daughter of light, reflecting the light of Jesus out to this world? You know, it's interesting when Jesus gave us the Last Supper, he looked <coughs> to what was going to happen. He was looking to the cross. And he says, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And then he says, this is my, this is cup is the blood that is shed for you for the remission of sin. Now, I want you to think for a moment of what the cross looked like. Because it said, starting at the, at the third hour, from, starting at the sixth hour to the ninth hour, it was completely dark. The sun had completely stopped shining. As Jesus took on the sin of the world, even even the earth rebelled. Now I want you to go to the resurrection. And at the resurrection, it was early morning. Before the sun came up. And when they got there, what did they see? The angels lighting up the, lighting up the tomb so they could see that he was not there. You see, that resurrection was what Jesus was, was looking for. The resurrection was going to spread the light to the world. As we come to communion, as we remember what he did for us, I want you to think of, am I a son or a daughter of the light? Am I reflecting Jesus as fully as I can? Or is my mirror kind of tarnished? Do I need to get the cleaner out and clean up my mirror so that I can reflect Jesus to the world?